through his blood. We've been saved through Jesus' death. The forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished upon us. Lavish, that's a word about generosity, isn't it? Being lavished, riches. Also in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be conceited and not to put their hope in the uncertainty of wealth, but in God who richly provides all things for us to joy. That's that word richly again. We have a generous God. In these first three chapters of, of his letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul lays out what God has done through Jesus Christ. That God has called us into a relationship with him. That we have been made alive in Jesus Christ. That before we were dead in our sin and the muck and the mess of our life, but we've been brought out of that into life with Christ. And that we have been united by the Holy Spirit. And those normal barriers and division in society around race and gender and all sorts of things have been broken down because we all have the one Holy Spirit with Christ as our foundation. I actually use the word cornerstone, which you understand, I'm not a builder, but what I used to do, they used to have a cornerstone that they would get absolutely square and right, a big stone, put it in place, and then they would measure the whole building from that perfectly square and straight cornerstone. That Jesus is for us our cornerstone. So we come to chapter 4 and verse 1. I'm going to read bits and pieces of verses 1 to 16, um, jump around it a bit. I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing. Verse 1, this is Paul. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, if you go on the... Um, the internet, you can go to websites. I use Bible Gateway. That's it. And I can see all the different versions, because there's loads of different versions of the Bible, different, slightly different translations. And I can see that one verse in loads of different things. So it says, live it, walk it, behave, lead your life, act worthy of the calling on your life. So what is that calling? Now, later in a minute, we're going to be looking at our calling specific as individuals according to our talents and our gifts. But actually, Paul is talking far broader than this. He's talking about our calling to follow Jesus and to live out the good news that Paul's just spent three chapters talking about. We are called to live to our calling, to follow Jesus. Notice at the beginning, it says, as a prisoner for the Lord. Paul is in prison here, writing this letter. He's been um, arrested, he's in prison. We know that later after this, he's executed. He's killed because of his faith. And Paul is saying from his place of imprisonment, even as a prisoner, it is so worth following the calling that God has put on your life to be a follower of Jesus Christ and live out the good news, even if it leads to imprisonment and death, because the cost is less than the gain. What it costs me is less than what I gain through Jesus Christ. This is the basic calling on the lives of all people who follow Jesus, to live a life worthy of what Christ has done for us and the good news that is for our life. To live a life worthy of the lavish 
rich blessings of God through Jesus Christ. There should be a change when you go from not being a follower of Jesus to being a follower of Jesus and realizing what God has done for you. I mean, I got married, next year it'd be 13 years ago. I would be in significant problem and I wouldn't still be married for 13 years if when I got married I didn't change how, how I was and the way I acted to how I was before I met my wife, Jen. There is a change because of that blessing of being married and Paul's saying there's a change because of Jesus. But how do we do that? What is Paul talking about here? Well, in a minute, he's going to go and talk about our different gifts and saying it will call. We have different talents. But before you start getting in your head that maybe one of you is better than someone else because maybe you're better at doing this or you're better at being up front or, or doing whatever, before you get that in your head, Paul wants to lay down this foundation in verses 2 to 6. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is not about you and what you can do. This is what Christ has done for us and the fact that we are united by one Spirit and we all follow one law. So don't start thinking, okay, we're all different and therefore some people are better than others. Paul saying, no, it doesn't work that way. We are all equal. Not the same, but equal. But it's God who's number one, not you. Verse seven, but. But having said that, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed. Well, what does that mean? Well, it basically means that Christ has given us all a gift depending on who we are and where we're at in our faith. They're all called to do something slightly different. There is no two of you who are the same. You've all got something that you can offer. And it's only when you all bring that to the body of Christ that actually we are complete as a church. If we're all the same, we would be missing out on loads of stuff. In other um, letters, Paul talks about comparing it to a body. We've got hands and feet and head and ears and eyes and all sorts of stuff like that. It wouldn't be any good if the body was one, just one big hand. We all need to be different. Variety, not uniformity, but yes to equality. So God has given us gifts through Jesus, but to whom has he given it? Well, to each one of us, to every one of us. There is no one of you, regardless of what you may think about yourself, because some of you may be thinking, well, I haven't got any talents. I haven't got any gifts. I don't know what my calling is on my life. Well, I'll pick up on that uh, in a moment. God, Jesus has given to every one of us a gift. Verse 11, he does start a list. So Christ gave himself gave the apostles. Now the apostles were, I guess in this context, those first people sent by Jesus, in which case that would have been disciples. They were taken up onto a mountain and Jesus says, go and disciple the entire world. That's your job. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm sending you out to tell people about me, to baptize in my name, to make disciples. Paul would count himself 
in that group of people, although he wasn't there on the mountain, he came a bit later. I mean, I'm not going to go into all that now. But Paul would count himself in that position. The prophets, so those people that, make, that hear from God, that can pass on a message to his people about uh, the direction that we should be going in, if there's any issues or problems we should be thinking about, because we believe in a God that speaks to us in detail about how we should be moving and what we should be doing. So the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, those people that stand on street corners and preach, they always make me cringe a bit. Not that it's bad, it's great, but I just struggle with that one a bit. Although I did have a go, I did have a go, but that's another story. Um, and also people that just have maybe in conversation, just tell people about Jesus and make relationships. The pastors and the teachers, I guess the people like me, the people that shepherd a church or teach people about uh, the Bible. So Christ himself gave those people. But why? Why did he give these people to be apostles, to be prophets, to be evangelists, to be pastors, to be teachers? Let's just read on. So that the, to equip, verse 12, his people for works of service. For works of service. That word service is the same word we get the word deacon or servant. And... Um, it refers to, sometimes we get a bit muddled with this because we can think back to in Acts, in Acts chapter 6, it talks about the first deacons. We've got the apostles going, I've got too much stuff to sort out in the church. I've got important stuff I need to be doing, telling about people about Jesus. I need someone to sort out this, this problem we've got with food for Hebrew people and food for Greek people. Let's appoint some deacons to sort out all that waiting on tables. And we can get in our heads that, okay, so that means then... Um, it's the, it's the pastors and people like that. who They're important people that get on with their jobs. And then the rest of you just make it possible for us to do that. So if anyone could bring me a coffee, that would be nice because, you know, serve me with some foods. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He turns it on his head, in fact. He says, no, no, no. It's the apostles and the teachers and the preachers and the evangelists and the prophets. They're the ones that are there to resource you guys not so you can wait on tables, but you can do the ministry of the church. And by that, I don't just mean the stuff that keeps this church going. It's a big church. We need rotors. But actually, it's the stuff that you do the rest of the week out there, living out the good news and the calling that Christ has put on your life. Thinking about that and reflecting about that, when I went to Bible college, I was, we talked about being called into ministry. I was called into ministry to become a minister, a Baptist minister. But in some respects, I wasn't called into ministry. I was called out of ministry. Because I was called to equip and resource you guys for ministry. It's a bit like footballers, professional footballers, moving away, coming off the pitch, and becoming coaches and managers. It's not the coaches and managers that are running around the football pitch playing football. It's the football players. And the coaches and managers are there to help them to win, to be the best they possibly can. That is my job, is to try and get the best out of you guys. In the word equip, it gets this idea of bringing into the intended shape and order, being who God intended you to be, to be fit for purpose. Because God has designed you for a specific role and to do a specific thing that only you can 
do. And really our job in life is to find out what that is and to do it. And my job is to help you to find it, to do it, and to live it. Because I have left the ministry to become a coach and a manager so that you can be the ministry. Just think how, how much you would struggle with the mission and the ministry of this church if it was just down to me doing it. There's only so much I can do. But if it's all you guys, then suddenly it's a huge amount of stuff that we can do if you're all acting out your calling and living out in that good news. So how do you find out what your calling is? Now, this is where I was so busy um, getting the live stream sorted and stuff like that. I forgot I needed the flip chart. But never mind. Um, I, I nicked something from a guy called J.D. Greer, which is an American pastor. And he says, I would draw a diagram, but he, he talks about three things that help us to think about what we are called to do, what our talents are. So he says, first of all, your ability. What are you good at doing? I heard it in another podcast. It's those things that you find easy that everyone else finds hard. Okay, what is it you find easy to do that other people struggle with? Okay, so I find it quite easy to talk up front. Put your hands up if you struggle with, you would struggle to talk up front. Okay, there's some things I find easy that others find hard. That's my ab ability. That's my gift, I guess. Then there's affinity, okay, because they've got to stick with A's. They're all going to be A's. Affinity, which uh, is that in to infinity? No, not infinity. Affinity. Those things that you are passionate about. What is it that you are passionate about and interested about? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What gets you excited? What gets you going? That's your affinity. So you've got ability, what you're good at. You've got affinity, what you're passionate about. And then lastly, you've got affirmation. What do others notice in you? Because I can think I am absolutely amazing at making cakes. And my wife goes, mm, I've tried your cakes. They're not that great. I can have this idea that I'm really good at something, but actually someone says, maybe not. But actually, nine times out of ten, what we normally think is, I am no good at that. And someone says, actually, I think you're really good at this. Have you considered? You're like, no, no, I'm not no good at that. No, I'm not good at that. No, no, you really are good. Sometimes we need that, don't we? Someone to say, no, you really are. I see potential in you. We mustn't be afraid to think, oh, I can't, you know, actually, I can get better at something. I'm going to be talking about that in a moment. But, yeah, I'll come back in a minute. But actually, it's about ability, affinity, affirmation, things you're good at, things you're passionate about, and things that people have noticed in you. And where those three things intersect, and this is where I would have drawn it on the flip chart if I'd been organized, where those three things intersect, that is possibly your calling and your talent and the gift that God has asked you to has given you in order to be, do the ministry of the church. Why? What is the consequence of doing this? I'm just looking at the time. I'm going to speed up a bit. And this is my last section, and it's entitled this. I put grow up. That's what Paul is basically saying. Grow up. Verse 12, to equip these people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. 
The gain of us being generous, of paying that cost, of using our talents, is that we become mature. We become mature Christians. We become mature followers of Jesus Christ. Now, in church, we tend to get that a bit on its head because what we look for is a nice, mature person who's good at what they do to do something responsible within the church. Actually, Paul's saying, no, you become mature and responsible by doing something, by acting out your calling and your talent on your life. If as a church we only... uh, give responsibility to those who are mature in years, mature in experience, and able to do the thing. And we'll end up with a load of majority of the church who are immature, who don't do anything. I mean, if you, I'm just trying to think about my kids, okay? My eldest is eight. If I try and get them to do anything, oh my goodness me, it's hard work. Because they are kids, they're children. They're self-absorbed. They just want to watch TV. They just want to do whatever they want to do. They don't want to play with their toys. And we can end up with a church full of people like that. They only want to do what they want to do. They just want to come and you know, just do the least amount possible. And the way we get around that is by giving them responsibility and saying, look, you may not have your ability sorted yet. You may be just starting to walk in this, but I see something in you. And we want to give you responsibility in that. We should start to see much younger leaders in our church because we're saying we're going to invest in you. It may go completely wrong. That's the danger, isn't it? This is why we look for competent, mature people because if we don't, things would go wrong. But actually, that's what Paul is saying. No, give it to those people who are just starting out so that they may become mature and we as a church may become mature as well. To build up the body, and it's about quality, and quantity. We want to grow the church in quantity, but we want to disciple people, increase the quality as well. And sometimes we can just go for quantity and not take that time out to look at people and go, yeah, you should be doing that. The question to you, I guess, as we come to the end of this, and I've gone five minutes over time, so apologies, is are you willing to be generous with your talents? Are you a mature follower of Jesus Christ? Or are you still at that stage where you're like, actually, no, I, I, I quite like to do my own thing. And I want to protect, you know, I don't want to, actually, oh, that's a bit scary. That's a bit out of my comfort zone. You know, I'm, I'm happy doing this. And yet, I'm, I'm not really good enough at that. I was going to talk about the things that prevent us from sharing, being generous with our talents. But I think I might stick that in uh, on social media. Uh, this week, because we just haven't got time uh, to do that. But I just want you to reflect, what is keeping you immature? What is keeping you immature in your faith? There's going to be some questions that come up, and I'll just give you an opportunity to do that and just think about those questions. This may apply to you, it may not. If you're a follower of Jesus, you might oh, that's really challenging. But if you don't follow Jesus, are you living out the gifts that you have? Because if if you want to live a fulfilled life, you need to live out those gifts and talents and be generous with them. That is a fulfilled life. Not about you, but about others.